Join Jessica Smith on the Like a Girl podcast, where she defies odds, shares inspiring stories, and empowers women to embrace their inner leaders. Tune in for a transformative journey. So I am home in this big house in the woods, and it's just me and Jonathan. And again, I remember every light in the house. I went downstairs in the basement. I turned on every light in the house. And I I was scared. I don't know if I was more scared that I was in this big house alone with no car, no phone, or if I was just scared that it hit me that I'm responsible for this kid, I'm by myself, and I have no freaking clue what I'm doing. And I also remember thinking, just just staring at this kid, thinking it wasn't that long ago that I was getting up in the morning, I was going to school, I'm in first period algebra, And look at me now, just like that, your whole life has changed. But one thing I knew, I never thought back and regretted the decision to keep him versus giving him up for adoption. That's the first thing. And I was just, I was just, I was motivated when I looked at him, I had to figure it out. And because I felt so alone and so lost most of my life, I just remember thinking I have to do better. And I never want him to feel like I felt. So I just have to figure this out. So for the first few nights, I would say that it was hard, but I also know that this was a time where people really looked out for me, people that were not my family. Now, remember at this point, my brothers are all gone. Two of them are in jail together. The other one is in jail somewhere else, but they're, they're not around at this time, there was a short period later that one of my older brothers was in the next town over and he was there. He was there for me. I mean, he took care of Jonathan and and me. But until we got to that point, we were we were alone and people really looked out for us. So they would come, take us grocery shopping, do all those things. Now, my Uncle Tom and Aunt Bunny lived right down the road. My Uncle Tom legally, on paper, owned our house because... 
My dad did not have the house in his name. So after he passed away, my uncle pretty much owned all of my dad's land and his home there in Kentucky. So I did not want him to know that I was alone. So for the longest, I was able to hide it up until it started to get cold and the pipes froze and busted. Water everywhere, big problem. I had to walk to my uncle's house with Jonathan and tell him we got a problem. I have water everywhere. And I remember he looked at me and said, where's your damn husband? And I said, oh, uh, him. Well, he's gone. I asked him to leave a while back. My uncle was furious, and he had to get someone to come out, fix the pipes, and he said, listen, this is not a house for a young girl and a baby to be here all alone by yourself. You have no car. You have no phone. You you cannot take care of this house. Now, by this time, the grass had grown in the yard. I'm not going out and mowing a lawn. So he's like, you got to go. I'm like, well, where am, I, where am I supposed to go? I don't have anywhere to go. He's like, you got to figure it out, but you can't stay here. You got to go. So I found myself sleeping on sofas, wherever I could. Me and Jonathan. Whatever I had to do to survive. So eventually I made my way to the next town with my older brother. And of course he was living the life of the family business and he took care of Jonathan and myself. But again, I'm knowing the whole time this is not the future that I want for myself or my son. I got to figure something out. So eventually, I found myself in a conversation with Jonathan's granny. So my mother-in-law. And I'm like, I got, I got to figure something out. I, I got to have a plan. Like, what am I doing? What is my future? What is this kid's future? All I could think about all the time when I looked at Jonathan is in my family, the men go to jail. I don't want that. I don't want that for my son. It is my responsibility that this kid doesn't go to jail. I don't want that for him. So her and I spoke and she said, listen, this is my grandson If you need to go and figure it out, he can stay here with me. 
And I want to say that by this time, Jonathan might have been three or four years old. And he knew her well. He loved his granny. And it took a minute for me to decide. But one thing I knew for sure is that there was no safer place for this kid than with her. The second thing I knew for sure is that I was coming back to get my son. I was not going to allow my son to be raised by someone else, even though I knew it was a good place and I knew she would do a great job. But for me, it was just, this is my responsibility and I got to figure it out. So I left Jonathan in Hopkinsville, Kentucky with his granny. And I went back to Chicago. My oldest sister, not the police officer, but her twin sister, who we had originally lived with after my dad died, let me come and stay with her. And she said, your ass has 30 days. You got 30 days to get a job. Figure it out. On day 29, if you do not have a job, you got to go. She didn't play. So, day one, I went and got a fake ID. Well, back then it wasn't really fake because you could take someone's birth certificate and social security card and just go to the DMV. My priorities were still messed up. Once I got that fake ID, I was in the club. As I started thinking about my days were running out, I figured it out. I started looking in the newspaper for jobs. What am I going to do? I don't even have a high school diploma. I'm like 17 at this point. I come across an ad in the Chicago Reader, and it says, Private Buyers Club called United Consumers Club is looking for part-time telemarketers to work from 4 to 9 p.m. Call this number. And I called the number. The person who answered the phone just started asking me questions about my work history and different things. And I had only, I worked at Fred's dollar store. I worked at Red Lobster and I worked at the plastic factory. 
And if you add all of the time up, it probably wasn't much time. So she says, well, I'd love to meet you in person. Is there any way you can come in today? And I remember saying, okay, well, where are you located compared to where I'm at? And I figured out that that was a hall. And I'm like, okay, well, how about tomorrow? It took me three long bus rides to get from the pretty much west side of Chicago all the way to damn near O'Hare. So I was stressed before I even got to the interview. And when I showed up, thinking back now, and after many conversations with her, she looked at me with my long nails and my still red lipstick back then. And I may have had a short skirt on. My sister encouraged me to wear a white dress shirt. But the look on the manager's face said it all. So she hands me a script and asks me to read the script. So I read the script. Now, I could read, and apparently I did a good job because she hired me on the spot. She said I was a natural. She also told me that when I memorized the script verbatim that I would get a 50 cents raise. And I said, okay, memorize the script word for word. She says, yeah, and we have a way of memorizing things here. And she gave me some very specific directions on how to memorize. And she told me to get in front of a mirror and read the first line out loud seven times. And then add the second line out loud seven times. Each time you add a line, your sentence would get longer and longer, but you would still say it out loud seven times. And she said, now something about this method you will memorize, but you have to follow the directions. And I'm writing this down and I'm taking notes. And I said, okay. At the end, I said, so if I come back tomorrow and I have this script memorized, I will start off 50 cents more. And I want to say it was $4.50 an hour. It was something crazy. No more than $6. It might have been four, four or five bucks an hour. 
And she said, yeah, that's, that's correct. I said, okay. I was so excited. I got a job and I don't even think I was on day 20. I just started looking in the paper and called and here I am. I got a job. Thank you, Lord. So felt like five hours later, I'm back home after three bus rides and I'm waiting for my sister to get home for work. And I told her, I got a job. And she said, you did? I said, yeah. She said, where, what? And I said, at some buyer's club or shopper's club as a telemarketer. And she's like, a telemarketer? Well, that's the right job for you because you love talking on the phone. I said, yeah, that, that's what I said. And, and the manager said that I was a natural. And I told my sister, now, here's the part that seems a little weird. She said, if I memorize this script, I get a 50 cents raise. Is that good? And my sister says, well, hell yeah, that's good. She's like, I've been working for AT&T for years. And when I get a raise, I'm lucky if I get a quarter. That's a good deal. You better get your ass in there and memorize that script. So I said, okay. And I went into the bathroom and I was there for hours. But I memorized that script. So the first day of work, I show up and I tell the manager, I memorized the script like you suggested. I'm really excited. And she looked at me and she's like, well, um, so you remember I said it needs to be verbatim. And she looked at me with this look as if, you must not know what verbatim means. And I said, yes, I have the script memorized word for word. And I knew this because I had had my niece test me over and over again after I memorized it. And I told her, I followed those directions that you gave me and they really worked. And she's still looking at me like she didn't believe me. She was confused. So she says, okay, well, let's go ahead and get started. And, you know, I can test you a little later. And I said, oh, okay. So we start the training process where she's telling me the background of, you know, the company and the history and all of these things. And we did practicing role-playing I learned the phone system. So now it's damn near nine o'clock. And I'm like, so I just want to circle back because I know you mentioned that I would get the 50 cent raise on the day I started if I memorized the script. And it was actually even better at this point because I had said the script 50 more times since I had started at the beginning of the day. And she says, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, I forgot. No problem. Um, are you ready now? And again, she looked at me with doubt. She did not think I had that script memorized. 
I don't know if she would admit it to this day, but she did not think I had that script memorized. And the look on her face when I said the script for her word for word was very surprised. And so I said, I handed her my time card. I wanted to make sure that she changed that number on the top of that time card. Because I got a 50 cent raise that day. So I was really excited. And I didn't spend a lot of time on the phones that day. But the following day I did. And by the end of the night, I'm like, I wonder if they're going to mail me my check or if I should ask when is payday again because I'm not coming back. This is awful. This is the worst. I thought that job at Fred's dollar store was bad. Oh, no. This is the worst. I hated it. It was bad enough. The three bus rides that I had to take. And it's late at night. I got to take Three buses back, stand at bus stops in the middle of nowhere. So I'm trying to figure out if there's any way that I can find another job as fast as I found this one. And maybe my sister will not notice before my 30 days is up because I'm not coming back here. I called people. I got hung up on. I got cussed out. Yeah, I like talking on the phone, but I like talking on the phone to nice people. I hated it. So that night, I went home. My sister said, how was your first day? And I told her, well, I got a 50 cents raise. And I said, and that lady did not think that I had that script memorized word for word. I said, she looked at me like, um, you do know I said verbatim, right? She she didn't think that I had it done. And I was telling my sister, I said, but I did. And I made sure she marked that time card. And I got my 50 cent raise today. And then I went on to tell her how awful it was. And she picked right up on, I was setting the stage. And I was hoping that she was going to say, well, hey, you know, if you hate it, don't go back. And she cut me off in the middle of my sobbing story and said, well, your ass going to go back there tomorrow and you can keep going back there unless you find another job because you do not quit a job unless you have a replacement. And I just looked at her. All right. So I'm looking for another job, but I'm still showing up to that one. Taking my three bus rides there and three bus rides home late at night, working on Saturday. Saturday was the worst because you started at 9 a.m., which means I had to start my journey at 6 a.m., which means I had to wake up at 5. I barely got home from the club on Friday. So (laughs) I was not feeling this telemarketing job. But I can't leave this one until I find another one. So as time is going on, the way that it worked is you were basically a lead generator. 
and your leads went to the salespeople. And the salespeople would call them back, make an appointment for them to come down to the showroom. They would go through the sales presentation and they would close them. And we had this board that we kept all of the telemarketers' names on the board. And we used to have these, you know, your your tally marks for your shows and then your tally marks for your joins. And so when you would come in, everybody would walk right over to the board. So we're like two weeks in and every day I come in, I'm seeing not just sticks next to my name for shows, but for joins and people are like, what in the world? She is great. She is amazing. She's getting all of these shows. She's getting all of these joins. And it's getting easier for me every day. People are still mean. People are still saying no. But I'm making probably twice as many calls as everyone else. And people are saying yes more than they're saying yes for everybody else. So our goal was always to get like 25 every day, 25 what we called invitations or mail out sent out. And every day I'm getting better and better. And what I realized was that it wasn't that more people were saying yes because I was saying something different. I realized that the faster I got over the jerk that hung up on me or said something mean to me, the better I was able to go into that next call. And I started realizing that it was my mindset that really set me up for success as I was going into the next call. So after my first 30 days or so, and I got that first commission check, it was a pretty big deal. So the hourly, I remember was, remember I started off at 50 cents more than everybody else that started, but the commission check that I got was good money. And I was like, wow, okay, I'm good at this. I I like it. You tend to like the the things that you're good at, right? So I continued working there and it got to the point where the salespeople just loved me because when they saw a lead that had my name on it, they got excited. And again, they went into the call with the right mindset that they knew they were going to set an appointment because they got a qualified lead because it came from Jessica. So that made me feel really good. Therefore, I wanted to get more. I wanted to do more. I was making good money. Everything's going good. I also met another guy. Now, when I think back, and I've had all of these moments to think about 
all of the guys that I've dated. And be clear, I am not bragging. I am complaining. And there's so many lessons to be learned. But I asked myself, what is my deal with bad boys? Like, I'm a bad boy magnet. I don't feel like I go out and look for bad boys, but why is it that every time I turn around, I am in a relationship with a bad boy? What's the deal? And of course, through self-reflection and if I'm being transparent, a lot of therapy, I realized that why would I not be attracted to bad boys, right? If you think about your relationship, a little girl's relationship, your first love is your dad. All little girls love their dad. Their dad is their hero. Well, guess what? My dad was a bad boy. And then you have your brothers. I looked up to my brothers. They were all, again, superheroes. I thought these guys were smart. And they made a lot of stupid mistakes, but they were smart. They are smart. And they were all bad boys. I come from a family of bad boys, so that is what I'm familiar with, what I'm comfortable with. And so that is why I was so attracted to bad boys. So here I am. I got this job. I'm making a little money. I like what I'm doing. Everyone loves me. And... I find another bad boy. Here I am once again. Thank you for tuning in to another insightful episode of Lead Like a Girl. We hope you found today's podcast valuable. If you enjoyed our podcast, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on your preferred platform. Your feedback is crucial in helping us continue to provide high quality content. If you found the content inspiring, we would like to encourage you to share this podcast with your network. Stay tuned for more inspiring stories and leadership insights on Lead Like a Girl. Until next time, lead with passion and purpose.